0: Friends, welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap show brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Erin. I'm Devlin. So we're going to do
1: something a bit different this week.
0: Yeah, sort of like this week's episode of Mr. Robot, which is kind of an experiment. We're going to try an experiment with this week's episode, too.
1: So we are actually taping this in one take. And what's probably invisible to the listener is that when we make a regular episode, we actually do many, many cuts and pauses to formulate our thoughts and make sure we're capturing everything so we're just gonna see how well we can do this in one go
0: yeah mostly it's to remove all my stuttering so that's what i'm mostly afraid of but let's see how this goes
1: i really like there's really not a lot of music in this episode i think there's a lot of matt Quayle, who's sort of an unsung hero of the show and then one standout track that we started off with um from philip glass's einstein on the beach opera
0: it's so intense
1: it's so intense. If you listen to the album version, it gets more intense and more cluttered, kind of. So check that one out. Mm-hmm. One thing I noticed, um, I haven't had a Hamilton joke for a really long time, so just give me this one. But in Hamilton, whenever there's counting in the songs, it always foreshadows a duel and a death. So I, I, it reminded me of that a little bit here.
0: Yeah, it definitely increases the tension. So the song is playing in the elevator where Elliot is with Angela.
1: Because she's always kind of there lurking in the background, right?
0: I guess she's always kind of uh, trying to make sure she knows what he's up to.
1: There's a television, there's news on in the elevator. So we learn that today is the day of the UN vote, where China is hoping to gain approval to annex the Congo.
0: Yeah, so that, that Congo storyline that's been developed over quite a long time now is starting to come to fruition.
1: There's a really awkward moment with the stranger in the elevator who's speaking German, And I think, Dave, you did a little recon trying to get some info on it.
0: Yeah, so uh, I actually, I'm I'm on an IRC channel with a German guy. uh, He also watches the show. Uh, He screenshotted it to us. and I was like, oh, what does that actually say? Uh, And he was like, oh, something about like beginning is always hard. OK,
1: yeah, I actually after you told me that I looked up um, an interview with one of the writers in The Hollywood Reporter. So he's absolutely bang on. And then the second thing he says is starting is easy. Persistence is an art.
0: So I guess this is a reference to the stage two stuff that's going on.
1: I would think so, because stage one felt very celebratory. And stage two has you know caused a lot more, well, Sturm und Drang, if I could use like the three words of German. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Who do you think this guy is, though?
1: I have absolutely no idea. And it's also I couldn't tell if he's meant to be talking to Elliot or himself or but it's like a violation of elevator etiquette. That's for sure.
0: From my perspective, he seemed to have like a death stare on Elliot. It seemed like it was really focused to me. But Yeah, just a bit of a, a mystery moment from the show, I guess. So now Elliot receives a phone call. And I noticed that in this episode, all of the phone calls happen in places where you wouldn't actually have cell service like stairwells and elevators and stuff. So, yeah, I don't know how realistic that is, but he gets a phone call from Darlene.
1: She wants him to meet her outside. So he brackets that uh, kind of for a second because Elliot is very disoriented. He says he's running his routine, but he feels really out of it. And he compares it to a runtime error. And that's also the name of the episode.
0: Yeah, I think um, what it's making reference to is sort of how when you're... When you're building a program, there's kind of the compile phase when you translate your source code into code that can run on the machine. And you can catch some errors at compile time, like if you try and call a function that expects a string and you pass it an integer or something instead, the compiler can recognize that and reject your program. But then there is another class of errors called runtime errors, which the compiler can't predict. So it's kind of an error that doesn't happen until you actually run the program. And it's a metaphor here for a problem that you kind of couldn't have foreseen in advance.
1: Elliot sits down at his desk. And so we learn that um, the douche bro... I forget what number we assigned him, but uh, <laughs> his desk mate, uh, his name is actually Samar.
0: Yeah, good to know. Although I still just refer to him as creepy guy in all of my notes.
1: He starts off the way he starts every conversation. And Elliot actually... Well, Elliot forgets to use his inside voice <laughs> and, uh, and actually just calls him out on it.
0: Yeah, and it's so funny because the guy is just completely crushed.
1: He becomes actually more likable than he's ever been in these next few moments. Like he becomes vulnerable and kind of human.
0: Yeah. It actually was a bit of a moment of redemption for him, I think. Cause I think that um like Elliot says, the people who talk about uh, things like that are normally like insecure or ashamed. And this person's probably just super insecure.
1: Like I still know more about that character than I ever wanted to know, but <laughs> he um he does Elliot a favor.
0: Not just yet, because um, Elliot tries to log into his computer and he finds out that his credentials don't work.
1: And so Elliot knows something is really wrong when he can't get onto the system.
0: He gives a phone call to a help desk to try and get them to reset his password. There's a bit of an Easter egg here because he says that his um, employee number is 072391, which refers to um, the... It's a a reference to the Mandela effect. Something supposedly happens to Nelson Mandela on that day.
1: Oh, no way. I didn't catch that. Um, when Elliot hops onto Samar's computer, he learns a couple of things.
0: Yeah. I noticed here that he's using software called, uh, Kibana, which is like for searching logs from another thing called Elasticsearch. And I've used that a lot myself. So it was cool to see that shout out here. Uh, producer Dave, you've used that too, haven't you? Uh, yeah, we've, we've been playing around with the network right now. It's not implemented, but I've definitely poked around it a (laughs) lot. Sweet. So from analyzing these logs, I think that he's able to detect that the Dark Army had tried to run stage two, but because of some software patches that he had written um, in anticipation of their attack, their attack was unsuccessful. So now he kind of has a hint that they're under attack and that they're probably going to try more sophisticated attack methods, and he needs to kind of race against the clock to install additional defenses before he gets taken out of the building.
1: There's some pressure put on the situation because he sees a team from HR coming with security and so everybody knows somebody's getting fired but Elliot very specifically knows that it's going to be him
0: this reminds me of a previous workplace I was at where um, all of the file folders that people would use were color coded so you could see somebody walking to someone's desk holding a black file folder and it's like we all know what that means
1: (laughs) when I used to be an HR lady they told me never to use black file folders for that reason
0: of course it's black too like it couldn't be a happy color
1: like pink like a pink slip
0: oh yeah wow Anyhow,
1: <laughs> so elliot's got only a couple of moments to try to take some action and this is when samar does the second favor so he lets elliot use his terminal and then he runs interference with the security team um <laughs> i like that the hr lady's like we've talked about your microaggressions
0: <laughs> <laughs> i love that line too
1: elliot speaks to the viewer he says don't leave me stay focused
0: yeah which of course we don't do, but let's not get ahead. <laughs> um, so he kind of takes off from the situation to try and evade the HR and security teams. He runs into the manager who he had convinced to implement his uh, defense against ch 2 by keeping the documents that they're backing up distributed. So she kind of congratulates him and says that she had tried to do so on Friday. So this is a hint that uh, Elliot has actually lost time for for three days.
1: Three days, because it's Monday now. Yeah,
0: so since the E-Corp party.
1: Um. Oh, where are we? So he gets back into the stairwell. Darlene's on the phone again, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Darlene is asking him to come downstairs because I think that she has something to tell him and we all know what that is at this point. But Elliot tells her that he can't because he's been fired and he won't be able to get back in. So he kind of uses um a trick on a guy who's on the phone in the stairwell to convince him to unlock the door and let him back into the floor.
1: We do learn from this conversation. I know this was a cause of great concern. That Darlene has actually taken Flipper over to Elliot's landlord. Low <laughs> flips is fine.
0: I was so glad to hear that. I was worried they weren't going to address that.
1: Elliot makes a break for another floor, and he it, he's looking for a good target so he can get access to a terminal. and
0: He finds the glue-sniffing nanny.
1: Yeah, so like an older woman, she's getting high off whiteout, and he thinks, looks perfect, right? <laughs> but you know what they say about assuming You know, it makes an asset of you and... Ming,
0: <laughs> great reference.
1: I know. I hope you're all watching BoJack Horseman. It's so good. Um, he's wrong. He's really wrong about <laughs> choosing her.
0: You know, we talk a lot about the characters having really good um, like face acting. There's probably a better word for it than that. And this is like a a minor character who's probably not a, like a super famous actress, but I think that they had really good face acting. As Elliot is um, telling her that they suspect she's installed some program on his on her computer, which is obviously bullshit. But she. Uh, she, she catches on to him pretty quick, like you were saying.
1: Did she remind you of the woman who works for the post office in Broad City?
0: I don't think I remember what you're talking about. Oh, never mind. That's okay. Is it in the last season? I still haven't no, up on that no. one. No, <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> um, what's nice, though, is even though he realizes he's chosen the wrong mark, she delivers the perfect mark to him.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, she's just like a major snitch.
1: Yeah, she's a little snitchy, but it helps Elliot, so we don't mind too yeah. much.
0: And then Elliot, he has like a moment of extreme boldness here where he just like strong arms this guy off his own computer.
1: He in the process of checking out and you'll know better than I do what he's actually checking out. Um, I think he logs in as Frank Bowman, which I believe I think that's a dark army account.
0: So Elliot talks about um kind of what ends up being the central part of the episode, which is, which are these hardware security modules um. Basically, the way these things work is based on something I've talked about before called private key cryptography, where I can give you my public key and using my private key, I can um, sign some data. And then when I give it to you, you can use my public key to verify that I wrote it and verified it with my private key without revealing the private key.
1: This was the handshake, right?
0: Yeah, it's kind of similar. But this is not for um, encryption, this is just for signing, like verifying the origin of uh, some bit of information. So it's relevant here because they are using code signing, which is something that um, like all kinds of devices use these days, probably most of them. And the idea is that you only run code that has been signed by a public key that is stored on the device. So this HSM is what is um, able to sign code and basically create new programs that can be run on these devices. And the idea here is that Elliot has um, he's patched in some defenses against stage 2 But if the Dark Army is able to sign additional code using this uh, HSM, then they will be able to run code that bypasses his patches. Or at least that's how I interpret it, because I think you were saying that they're very opaque about it, and it's kind of just just used as a plot device.
1: Elliot has got to get out of there, because he sees, I think, the security team looking for him. And so I love the scene where he crashes a meeting.
0: Yeah, and he's kind of just trying to kill as much time as he can in there.
1: And I find this really tense where I'm just waiting for the whole thing to blow up and somebody to start yelling (laughs) and for security to notice them because they're in a meeting with glass walls, right? Like everybody can see that he's in there and what's going on. He uses the name Dave Kennedy, which I assume is probably a reference I'm not picking up on, but maybe a listener knows what that might be.
0: I know that one thing this show does pretty often is use the names of producers and writers and things like that for um, characters in the show. Like, you know how Elliot used the name um, Sam Sepiel? That's a reference to Sam Esmail and one of the other uh, people on the team whose last name is Sepiel.
1: Oh, interesting. I like in this scene we get, I I think, it references some previous incidents where Elliot, in buying time, says to the leader of the meeting, you know, sometimes I get a lot like you.
0: (laughs) He seems to just, like, pull us out of his ass, though. Like, he kind of picked up on all that so quickly
1: well, he's really pulling all of this out of his ass, right? Like yeah. he's, you know, this is real time with no planning, which is not normally how he works or how anyone mm-hmm. really prefers to work.
0: I definitely got a bit of a reminder here of this one incident on um, maybe like my first day of high school where I mixed up my my schedule, timeline, whatever you call those things. And I went into um, a class on like uh, parents and kids instead of French class by accident. It was real embarrassing. <laughs>
1: Did you speak French throughout it anyway?
0: (laughs) I got kicked out pretty quick.
1: Elliot uh, also gets kicked out of this meeting uh, (laughs) pretty quick after rudely flipping a guy's donut on the table. Um, He gets himself like just in the nick of time into the elevator. And so he's alone. He's got a couple of minutes where he can think about his next move. And he poses the question, what would Mr. Robot do?
0: One thing that was noted on the subreddit here, um, like, you know how when when he asks what Mr. Robot will do, that's when Mr. Robot enters the scene. Uh, Because of the way this was shot inside the elevator with the camera kind of spiraling around Elliot, I think that that implies that they had to have Christian Slater like crouching or lying on the floor and then like jumping up when the camera was the other way. (laughs)
1: That's amazing.
0: <laughs> I don't know who else they could have done it.
1: I have to say, the way the actors handled this, like this must have been a great challenge for them, and the acting is so good on oh, yeah. everyone's part in this. Um, I also, uh, I, I want to get WWMRRD. What would Mister Robot do? Uh, bracelets made for for all of us.
0: We've already got the design done for that.
1: So this encounter with Mr. Robot is different, though, because instead of him actually being present, at some point Elliot says they haven't actually been in the same space for months. He's being kind of projected or imagined, if I can use those words to differentiate it.
0: Yeah, and what Mr. Robot has to tell him is that uh, the building is going to blow up no matter what he does at this point. It actually seems like Mr. Robot is kind of just taunting and playing with him now.
1: Elliot decides at this point... He should worry about people and not HSM. So he's redirecting a little bit.
0: Yeah. He's headed down to the lobby. And once he gets there, he's formally taken out by security.
1: And he just lets them escort him out. And so now he's outside in the middle of a protest that is quickly escalating. Mm -hmm. And he tries to call E-Corp to warn them about the explosion.
0: But it's way too loud out. So they don't really hear anything. It makes me wonder if they heard him or not, actually, because it's kind of uh, speculative. Another thing, and sorry to keep telling you that these things remind me of other things, but I once did a job interview while walking home for lunch and I was like on the phone while I was walking on the street and I got lost in a construction zone and I had to continue doing the interview while like climbing up a hill to get out and I, I got the job. So it's perfect. Hey, so
1: <laughs> interview strategy from, from Devlin, <laughs> take them all on weird calls in construction zones.
0: So now that Elliot's outside, Darlene is able to connect with him.
1: Darlene, she finally admits that she's been collaborating with the FBI.
0: Yeah, so a bit of a revelation for Elliot here.
1: I thought the other revelation to me is she says, I got a deal for us.
0: Yeah, because what she says is that the FBI is only interested in Tyrell. So I don't think that Elliot has immunity. I don't think that's been raised. But I guess what they're saying is that Tyrell is the focus. And Elliot is more like only a means to the end layer. So maybe Darlene thinks that by turning in Tyrell, they can get a better deal for Elliot.
1: That's my assumption too. Where she's made, or perhaps some kind of provisional deal for him, where if they can deliver Tyrell, that the consequences won't be severe. Because we know Darlene has immunity, but Elliot's status is unclear.
0: I feel like Tyrell is so fucked at this point. Like his life is in shambles.
1: Dude's flying to Ukraine. He'll be. He'll be. <laughs> well, this all remains to be seen. Yeah. Tyrell is conspicuously absent from this episode.
0: Yeah. No kidding. I, I guess uh, maybe we'll find out what happens in the next episode because they kind of left his character on a cliffhanger in the last one when they asked about his kid.
1: Darlene explains to Elliot that when she followed him that night three days ago, that Mr. Robot was in control and that he and Angela actually met. And so Angela has been betraying him this whole time.
0: Yeah, and when Darlene says that to him, she says, uh, Angela's been betraying you. Elliot says that Darlene has been too. So this must be a very devastating moment for Elliot because everybody who was closest to him has sort of turned their back on him.
1: Yeah, he's really all alone
0: now. At this point, um, the camera pans away from Elliot and Darlene. I guess we don't really get to find out what happens next for them. And it moves the shot onto uh, a CNN reporter, I think.
1: Well, before that, we do get a little bit of footage of the protest and protesters. Oh, yeah. And I have to say a real missed opportunity here. And I think anyone who's ever been to a protest, like how many chants begin... One, two, three, four, like to tie back into the song from the beginning. Yeah. I, um, maybe I'll write some of my own, uh, you know, to share later, but I really think that's a missed opportunity. Uh, although maybe it's too on the nose, <laughs> you know. Who knows? So, anyway, back over to. So, a reporter kind of scrambles into the scene.
0: Yeah. And they, um, they're from CNN, but what they say sounds more like Fox or something because it's, um, sort of dismissive of all the protesters concerns what they say is that there are a whole bunch of new protesters out there so they're calling in additional police units to keep everything under control but they say that they're not sure why anybody would be protesting right now because the unemployment rate is at an all-time high of 26 percent. so obviously that also gives you a bit of a picture into the state of the economy right now
1: they are certainly i think trying to undermine the reasons why people might be protesting, and I think kind of cast them, you pointed this out to me, kind of cast them as conspiracy theories or unfounded ideas. She says, you know, some some man was so far fetched as to even say that it was related to the U.N. vote today and that perhaps E-Corp had a hand (laughs) in it. I mean, what a what a wacky thought,
0: which is basically obvious to everybody. But I guess that just goes to show you how they can dismiss something so easily.
1: Part of me wondered if that was deliberately brought to the reporter so that it would be cast in that
0: light. Oh, I bet. Absolutely. I think that this is like actual outright propaganda.
1: So now moving away from the reporter and into the crowd.
0: So this is the part where this episode really starts to pick up the pace. And I love how this goes down.
1: This is done so well. Like the choreography of these scenes for these actors. Um, I can't even imagine how they did it. But it is so good. The, they kind of focus a little bit on one protester. He's got something concealed in his hand that I can't make out very well.
0: I thought it was like a glass bottle, but I couldn't really make it out either because um, we see that there is also a tear gas canister that's thrown. I guess it could have been that. But uh, they throw the bottle. It hits the cop right in the face. There's also the tear gas canister I mentioned, and then they storm the building.
1: I can't quite tell if the tear gas canister comes from the police or the protesters at this point.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a good question.
1: So, the, But there's tear gas. They burst into the building. Initially, they start spray painting red X's. Did
0: that remind things, you of anything? <laughs>
1: that di- so that reminded me of one of our favorite contemporary Canadian artists, um uh, Monty Canson. And Istvan Cantor uh, was his given name. Monty Canson is a collective identity for artists who work in the Neoism movement.
0: I think that we're gonna need to make a Neoism podcast at some points. And there actually will be a bunch of people who 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 appreciate that kind of stuff if they like Mr. Robot. I think that kind of having um a multiple use uh, name for an artist like monty canson is very similar to like uh hackers and open source and stuff like that
1: i think so too and because it does focus on collective and shared identity i mean elliot and robot have a collective and shared identity now my last digression on this is that uh, oh. van Cantor became most famous for a series called blood donation when he would go into art galleries and throw his own blood in the shape of an x on existing artwork so that's (laughs) and this is probably an unintended visual parallel but i for sure got some of that um the rest of the graffiti uh as we go seems kind of nonsensical to me i don't see tags or symbols i just see outright destruction
0: yeah they're just trying to destroy everything they can uh once they get into the building they're able to coerce one of the employees to scan their security badge and ride the elevator back up to the 23rd floor
1: And again, we see on the television screen in the elevator that the UN vote is proceeding.
0: And we play that same very intense music that was in the earlier elevator scene.
1: Oh, now I understand my note. I had written EOTB again. Einstein on the Beach. Oh.
0: That's the opera. Okay.
1: Again. There we go. There we go.
0: I would have never thought about that from EOTB. I don't know why you would have thought you'd remember that.
1: (laughs) I think I'm smarter than I am. That's why.
0: (laughs) I thought you were saying EOTV. As in oh. Valerie.
1: <laughs> no, B as in bingo? Is that... Yeah, you get me.
0: <laughs> is, is it bingo? It's Bravo, I think. Bravo. I think. I all right, we'll
1: us. work on this. Angela, is is she receiving or making a phone call?
0: I think she's making the phone call, I think. I'm not exactly sure that. I think that she definitely is a lot more common collected than all the other people on her floor, though, who are basically... Well, very justified. They're all like running for their lives. They're scared shitless. And Angela is just um, in her phone talking to Irving. Oh, sorry, in her room on the phone talking to Irving. She's not in her phone.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's for a different episode probably. <laughs> she and Irving have a sort of a security protocol worked out where when one of them calls, they give a code word and the other is expected to return a specific code word. So one says blank and then the other says mentor back.
0: Yeah. Condor.
1: (laughs) Condor. Those will be ours. Way to drop the ball, Aaron. (laughs) I actually never knew his hacker name. Isn't it in the book? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) uh, So this is a reference to Lloyd Blankenship. His hacker name was the mentor. Um, Where Angela gets some peace of mind Mm -hmm. uh, is that Irving tells her this whole thing is a dark army distraction. So the folks who have broken into the building are, I guess, is agent provocateur a fair term to use for them here?
0: For at least a couple of them, because it seems like the Dark Army um, installed a few people who catalyzed this riot. Like, those would be agents provocateurs. But then there are a bunch of other rioters who are also participating, is how I interpret it.
1: Even though I could say many words with a proper a- French accent, for some reason, e "agent provocateur" like, sounds very English coming out of my mouth.
0: <laughs> so. I screw up every French word. I also really badly screwed up a French name in an earlier episode, and I'm hoping nobody notices that.
1: We'll stop calling attention to it. You know I mean? <laughs> and by that, we mean go back and listen to all the episodes. <laughs> and in doing so, you know, please, please catch that.
0: So these uh, riots are a distraction to allow Angela to succeed with an alternate route to get to stage two. They say that there was like a bit of a hiccup. So they're trying a contingency plan. And Angela is instructed to pick up a package from the front desk that has some hardware, equipment and instructions for Elliot.
1: She's supposed to get Elliot to an HSM so he can make a backup. That's the instruction.
0: Yeah, so once they have a copy of the HSM, they'll be able to sign their own code and be able to run arbitrary code that will evade Elliot's patch.
1: Angela, and I still don't understand exactly why she makes this choice, Elliot calls her at that exact moment and she ignores it.
0: I think that she made the choice to do it herself in part because... She knew that Elliot was just fired, and maybe he might not be available right now. But also, um, keep in mind that she doesn't really need Elliot. She needs Mr. Robot, and Elliot right now is probably not going to want to cooperate with her.
1: She decides she's going to go it on her own. She pulls out, I can't actually really read what's on the instructions. There's a piece of paper in the package that tells her precisely what she's got to do.
0: It's kind of just instructions for how to back up and uh, send a copy of the HSM, I think. I didn't get a good look at it either, but that was the impression I got.
1: She gets into the elevator we see on the television again. So, Price has delivered the vote. The UN vote is successful.
0: So, the Congo has officially been annexed.
1: And I'm sure that's going to form a major plot point in the. I hope the next episode. I hope we don't have to wait too <laughs> long for that to be answered. Um, Angela is in there with a security guard.
0: Yeah, they noticed that Angela was trying to. Um, were they trying to get? They're trying to get to the HSM, I, I, I suppose. And the security guard says that that's not safe with all of these rioters in the building. So they try and take them to a safe room back up on the 23rd floor that Angela had come from.
1: Which would have been perfect, except the security badge slips out of the package.
0: Yeah, because there's like a interruption to the power that makes the elevator slip.
1: And it's clearly not her pass. And it clearly has a very advanced level of access. So the guard decides that she's coming with him.
0: Yeah, that was a bit of a red flag, I guess. And Angela tries to pull off some social engineering tricks here, but I guess that the the alarm bells have already rung.
1: So instead, so instead she needs to try some uh, good old-fashioned brute force here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think um, like she had at least tried to give this guy a chance not to have this happen because she says, I'm just going to go to my office and we can like forget about this. But once he reaches out and puts his uh, hands on her and grabs her arm, she calls out for the rioters to attack him. And I think that they... Smack him in the face with a glass bottle and then kind of just brutally beat him with whatever is around.
1: So they take out I assume it's the Dark Army folks who take out the guard, but there are other people who chase her.
0: Yeah. And I'm gonna have a shout-out to the camera over here because this was just absolutely mind-blowing, jaw-dropping to me. Because as Angela is running down the corridor, the camera kind of um I don't know why I started the sentence like that, because I don't know what it's called when they did that. But they have like an overhead shot that uh, travels between rooms. And in fact, um, at one point, it hangs over the wall of the building and you can see it under the street. So it's really, really fantastic camera work. And another movie I've seen that had um, similar shots is uh, Enter the Void by Gaspar Noy which is a movie about a person who gets shot while they're on a DMT trip and they kind of like spend two hours in a weird time parallel. It's, uh, it's kind of screwed up, but also cool. Interesting. I think it's called a, a bird's eye shot. It makes sense. That, that is how birds see things.
1: From way up high. Correct. Um, Angela's missing a critical piece of equipment to carry out the tasks on her list.
0: This is that USB key.
1: In my notes, I have water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. <laughs> like in this technology company, there's seriously no USB key. Like there's 10 of them in my purse right now. Like why? Why?
0: It really says something about the show though, that they were able to make a character looking for a USB key super intense and scary.
1: Yeah, it's scary. Well, because she's vulnerable, she has to go back out into the open, right? To do yeah. it.
0: So once she finally does find that USB key, she's interrupted by another employee.
1: Because she gets back into the room, right, with the HSM's where she wants to be. And another woman comes in.
0: Yeah, she's obviously pretty scared because she probably just ran away from the rioters into this place. However, she notices that Angela has those gloves on that are are fairly incriminating.
1: Yeah, she's wearing latex gloves and poking around (laughs) the machine. Um, Angela tries to lie to her.
0: Yeah, she uses the same kind of cover story that Irving had devised for Elliot. So she says that she's a member of the internal audit team who just happens to be there at the moment when all of this riot went down. And um, luckily for her, this... Well, actually, I know how lucky it is, but the woman doesn't have a chance to call out Angela's story because the glass of the door is shattered with a fire extinguisher and somebody wearing an F Society mask breaks in.
1: I think it does create the perfect distraction. Um, the woman who's entered the... The woman who's entered the room, we're going to learn her name is Lydia Riley. She takes mace to the protester and runs.
0: Yeah, they have a, a close-up shot of her name tag, which I think is supposed to show you that Angela is kind of taking like a long, hard look at it. But at the same time as when Lydia sprays the the rider, I think that Angela also got a, a whiff of the mace.
1: Well, it would stay in the room for a while. like It's very concentrated. So she... I have to say, Angela has come a long way from her remedial femtocell boot camp. Because she she gets back at it, and I think is successful in carrying out the list of tasks, or at least getting getting through to the end of it.
0: We think so, but who really knows? I definitely think that she was successful, but um, kind of we're going to uh,
1: cast doubt on that later. Though, yeah, I
0: think. I, I, I realize I was getting ahead of myself. Uh, once she finishes up with that task, she puts on a disguise to get out safely.
1: Angela takes the, she tries to wipe the mace out of it, uh, out of the mask. She. This is not the way I wanted to see Angela put on an F Society mask.
0: <laughs> well, I think like Angela is definitely becoming a little bit, no, a little bit is not the right way to put it. She's becoming like a lot more villainous, but I really like it actually. I'm getting some real um, Cersei Lannister Game of Thrones vibes from her.
1: I like that it's a complicated villainy. Like, she's not Cruella DeVille here. She still thinks she's on the side of the angels, as they say.
0: Yeah, they, they did a good job of developing her character as somebody who's kind of, like, sweet and vulnerable at the beginning. Because now when she takes this heel turn, she still is a character with a lot of depth.
1: So she takes the hoodie and the mask from the guy who goes down, and she uses that disguise to exit the room. Although... When she does, there's one masked person who just freezes and looks at her. And I think that must be somebody who's in the know.
0: Yeah. I, I thought there was somebody who recognized her or maybe like uh, one of those moments they have like in Jurassic Park where the dinosaur looks at you for a moment and you're not sure if they're going to attack you. Like just a moment for a bit of tension. So you see that brutally beaten up guard. I'm pretty sure he's dead now. So sucks for him. Uh, Angela makes it to the elevator and there's a bit of an Easter egg here. You want to go into that or should be? We...
1: I think you should because it was your catch. Because while there's all that chaos happening behind Angela, you see something very important that it's, I missed.
0: I, I think it's Elliot who runs back to the place that Angela had come from. So my hypothesis here is that if he's able to destroy or alter the HSM in some way, it could invalidate all of the work that Angela had done.
1: And so when I rewatched it, uh, after you pointed it out to me, you do see it's a figure in a hoodie, but he's the only one wearing a backpack.
0: Yeah. And he has like kind of distinctive backpack. But when does Elliot ever run?
1: When he needs to. <laughs> when he needs to. So uh, now
0: Angela's in the elevator.
1: And Frank Cody's on the TV.
0: He's talking about Congo and he's talking about Donald Trump as White Rose had instructed him to do. So he's kind of uh, outright propagandist.
1: Well, because we know he's in the pocket or of or on the payroll of or in some way affiliated. And it's so interesting the way he frames it. You know, why stop at 50 states? <laughs> you know, our growth could be continuous. And then he does make a pitch for, you know, the United States needs someone with what he describes as Donald Trump's business acumen. And remember, this is supposed to be said in 2015. So this is before the actual election uh, that gave him power would have taken place.
0: I find it so interesting how they're able to intertwine real-life events into the story like this. I wonder what will happen, though, if real life takes a very different turn than they expect, and it diverges a lot. Does that make sense?
1: Well, maybe then we'll get, like, a fifth season out of it, (laughs) you know? Maybe that just gives more runway for the story. I don't know.
0: (laughs) So Angela somehow has a signal in this elevator, and she gives Irving a call. She says that... um, Oh, actually, no, you should...
1: Yeah, because the code words are interesting here. So... I believe it's her that says Marlin Spike, and then Irving says back Moxie.
0: Moxie being uh, one of the developers behind Open Whisper, Open Whisper Systems who made Signal. So I thought that was like a really cool shout out. Definitely use Signal, guys.
1: I really like about Irving. I've been trying to imitate it uh, unsuccessfully, but a lot of his responses to her, uh-huh. <laughs> like not uh-huh, but uh-huh. Like Just
0: devoid c- of energy?
1: Or it's like maybe a regional accent that I can't quite do. Mm-hmm. Um, Angela has to tell him that she got made, so this woman saw her, her f- real face, saw exactly what she was doing, and Irving's kind of, um, I think, pissed in a real restrained way. Yeah, that it was her and not Elliot who carried out the task, and I don't know if this. Remember we way back when uh, White Rose says to her, aide. Um, you know, there'll come a way where Elliot can die for the cause. I don't know if he was supposed to perish at this moment in the riot where there would have been plausible deniability. Um,
0: And then maybe Angela might suffer that consequence instead, having taken on that role.
1: She may suffer that consequence, or at very least he's not out of the way, right? He's still acting out there. So he wants to know why. This is where we realize that not all those folks are dark army folks. So Irving says... Just because we let the fuse doesn't mean we control the explosion.
0: I like that quote a lot.
1: I like it too, especially in this context about explosions. <laughs> so, um, so there are also just, there are protesters who are acting on their own um, agenda inside the building at the same time. It's really important to Irving that the whole list got completed. He asks. this is what we were alluding to before. He asks Angela if the whole list got done.
0: And she says yes. She she hesitates a bit before, and I think you're supposed to doubt if she was successful or not. Because like you were saying earlier, um, from her experience with the to cell hack, we don't really have the impression that she's like uh, a very good hacker just yet.
1: Do you buy that she got it done?
0: My more likely hypothesis is that she got it done, but then Elliot reversed it.
1: Oh, interesting, because my hypothesis was that she might have skipped a step or two.
0: Oh, yeah, that could have happened too.
1: Or was maybe covering up something she missed or messed up. Could be. Because she hesitates. But I'm reading a whole lot into that half second of hesitation.
0: There's a lot of mystery in this episode, that's for sure.
1: Irving has some further directions for her.
0: He asks for Lydia, what's her name?
1: Lydia Riley's name.
0: Yeah, so I think that they imply that they're going to hunt her down.
1: I think they're going to have to take care of her in some way. Angela's got a question for him. Are you still going to evacuate the building?
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: Oh, (laughs) at this moment, I'm just like, oh, oh, sweetie, there's no evacuation. I don't think that, I don't think it's going to be evacuated.
0: I don't either. Of course, um, Irving says that it's already happened. And because Elliot had called in the warning earlier, I guess that it's plausible, but I really, really doubt it.
1: Irving tries to distract her anyway. Um, He says, remember, she can make all this better. I assume that's White Rose and to remember the cause.
0: He kind of knows the right thing to say to everybody. I think that this is kind of... um, He knows that, like, that's the key to Angela's lock. With Tyrell, he was talking about being, like, a god of the new world and all that stuff.
1: And forgiven as, like, a family man and a provider. Like, he's got everybody's button, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think he's really playing Angela here, and she totally falls for it. But uh, what is the instruction that he has for her now?
1: That she is to go back to her floor, which I think is the 41st floor, if I observed the elevator correctly.
0: I got so confused by all the floor numbers in this episode. I know Um, that I said the 23rd one earlier, and I still don't know if that's No,
1: I think it was 23rd. With yeah. the HMS on it?
0: HMS. But yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> HMS is a boat. Man, I'm the worst. Anyway, <laughs> she needs to go back to her own floor, whatever number that may be, um, and find a delivery man.
0: And we find out that delivery man is actually Sandwich Man.
1: Sandwich Man. Like, what talents doesn't Sandwich Man have?
0: <laughs> He's pretty versus high like that.
1: Except he only has one suit. He's... That a hazmat suit just takes it <laughs> everywhere he needs to go. He receives the package back from her and hands her a takeout bag from Red Wheelbarrow.
0: And this is like a very intentionally mysterious takeout bag.
1: <laughs> Except I think, the way I interpret it anyway, is there's something about this bag that tells Angela that the evacuation's not going to happen because I think she starts to cry and kind of shake a little bit.
0: She does, but I didn't think that Like, I think that if she thought the evacuation wasn't happening, that she would have more of, like, an angry panic response. And I interpret her tears as, like, tears of joy of, like, of limitless possibilities. Like, maybe this thing inspires her in some way.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. I could see that. And the other option I'd considered is, is she just relieved that it's done now. The hard part, theoretically, is over. She's very... Moved <laughs> and emotional, either way.
0: So, another um, Pulp Fiction reference I want to make here I think that there have been a lot of them over the season, and I, I even think that they're intentional and not stuff that I'm pulling out of my ass. Um, there's a scene in that movie where they're retrieving a briefcase from some dude's apartment, and they open it up to check out that what's in there is what they expect, and they never reveal what's actually in the briefcase, but its contents just cast like a, a gold glow onto the face of the character who's looking into it. And as Angela is walking with his bag, looking into it and seeing its contents, while not revealing it to us, all of the security emergency lights are flashing on your face in a way that really reminded me of that.
1: That's so interesting. We're going to have to do a special episode on Pulp Fiction, too.
0: That would be cool. We have like a backlog of episodes now.
1: I know. (laughs) We've said (laughs) this so many times. (laughs) It'll give us something to do between seasons, right? Good point. Angela, I think, is preparing to leave the building, but she's intercepted again.
0: I feel like she wasn't even intercepted. She was just like distracted and almost walked into him like me when I'm with my cell phone on the street.
1: Elliot says to her, is there something you want to tell me?
0: Do you remember at the beginning of this episode when they're getting out of the elevator and Angela's like, we should get lunch later? Oh, yeah. And there she's getting lunch with him.
1: Yeah, like maybe she has lunch in that bag and it's just going to be one of those real awkward, uncomfortable business lunches that you don't look forward to.
0: I brought heroes.
1: (laughs) And that brings us to the end of the
0: episode. I am so excited for the next episode. It's been such a hard wait.
1: Oh my God, I know. I can't wait for next week.
0: I'm stoked for you guys. You like killed this one take. Oh, great. All right. Maybe we'll
1: do them all this way from now on, you know? (laughs) All right, so... Thank you so much for listening to Mr. Rewatch. You can follow us on Twitter, and we've got a Facebook page. And we recorded this episode today at our studio in Hamilton. I'm Devlin. And I'm Erin. Bonsoir.